hiding? We're just back as audio only this week. Coming soon, we're going to be making at least one video episode per month. We had so much fun with Kate Power and Steve Einhorn last time that coming up are a series of couples who are also working musicians. Chance Hayden and Shelley Rudolph is one, Lisa Mann and Alan Markell is another, and more, 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 more. Stay tuned. In Cafe Artichoke at 2007 Southeast Powell Boulevard this time is protest singer Bill Valenti. He's had a very diverse life and after several careers has found himself singing about our current social and political situation. It's a subject rich in song topics. We'll play a tune of his at, at the end of the conversation. Regretfully, we had audio problems again. For the last time, we've taken steps. But don't worry, Bill Valenti shines through. Well, Bill, welcome to uh, Artichoke Music. It's a pleasure to be here. Here the, the Artichoke Cafe. Just a really One of my nice favorite performance spots anywhere on the planet. It's terrific. Yeah. It's terrific. It really is. Uh, and we're happy to be here, as, as always, at the 2007 Southwest Powell Boulevard. Good they, spot. They like it when I say that. Yeah, it's good. So people know where it is. <laughs> um, so you're you're Bill Valenti. Not, you're not Dino Valenti. <laughs> uh, I don't know who Dino Valenti is. is he? he was in Quicksilver Messenger Service. Oh, okay. I, he wrote... Um, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, everybody get together and try to love one another right now. Oh gosh, okay. Yeah. He wrote that. But there well, was an, he, he must be a relative then. He probably owes me some money. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's been dead for a long time. All right. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll, let me ask you a question because you do refer to yourself as a protest. You write protest songs. Well, you know, I, I yes, uh, but I would I would say I'm recently moderating that to call them laments um, <laughs> because I think the word protest song sounds a bit off putting to some people. And although I do write songs that are protesting something mm-hmm. uh, as a uh, as a general rule, I, I kind of think of them as more of, as laments about something that ain't right, like uh-huh. on climate change or yeah. civil rights or yeah. uh, economic inequality and things like that. Well, one of the great, uh, one of the great uh, uh, singers of songs like that ever, Phil Oaks, yeah. used to hate the word protest. Yeah, yeah. And he used to, he said, I don't, I don't call me a protest singer. I'm a topical singer. That's yeah. what he used to say. Right. I, yeah. I've, I've seen that uh, reference yeah. from Phil Oaks and I, I love his, his writing and I think his, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think he's right. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I, that I uh, remember from the days of Phil Oaks is, He's lamenting things that aren't right and uh, yeah. putting them in a form of a song. I think that's a that's a powerful way to put it. However, he didn't protest. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's no question about that. Yeah. Well, Bob Dylan also denied that he was a protest songwriter. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think Masters of War is a pretty clear protest song. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Yeah. What's a, what's a bigger protest song than that? Yeah, or The Hurricane. Yeah. 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 But not Joey Gallo. <laughs> that I could never understand. Yeah, I don't know that one. Please. Yeah. Uh, it was, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a thug and a mafioso and a murderer. What's wrong with you? Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just talking to Bob Dylan here. Uh, but in fact, I'm talking to um, Bill Valenti. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be uh, on this side of the grass at the moment and uh, sitting here with you. So, yeah. What can I tell you? What kind of lies can I tell you? Well, it's easy to lie. Yeah. We I could be president. <laughs> it's the easiest thing in the world. So all I got to do is just make something up. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, that's what I do in songs. Although I, I try to uh, hew to uh, uh, being factual and accurate about what's going on in the news. I like I like uh, 
to think that what I'm doing with my songs is taking something that's in the news, mm -hmm. writing a song about it and posting the link to that song mm -hmm. as my commentary on yeah. the thing in the news. Yeah. Um, a good example was uh, during the uprisings in Tahrir Square in Egypt, probably, mm -hmm. what, five years ago, six years ago, mm -hmm. maybe a little more. More. I, I wrote a song called uh, Rise Up, Take It to the Streets. And I uh, uh, wrote it, recorded it, posted it on YouTube with a little slideshow that showed uh, news clippings from those events. Mm -hmm. And I started posting that link as my commentary on blogs and mm -hmm. uh, commentary sections of HuffPost and uh, New York Times, etc. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, because the, the, this, you know, the news was uh, would just you know, the news was all about that uprising. My song got associated with that news. Mm -hmm. And I, I would find, you know, several thousand listens to my song within mm -hmm. a day or so just yeah. by associating with the news that the song was uh, discussing. Well, you could uh, be writing a song every day these days. Could. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of things about, a, you know, a protest song like that. Uh, when the issue that I'm writing about is off the front page of the news, the song is kind of, kind of fades into oblivion. So you have to write another protest song. Yeah. So it motivates me to keep writing everything. You know, every time something new hits the news, I wrote a, I wrote a song about Mitt uh, Mitt Romney when he made that unfortunate comment about mm -hmm. the 47 percenters, mm -hmm. and I think that the song shot up, did four or five thousand views in a couple of days, but then the issue went away and the song went away. So. Okay, that's all right. It's got a short shelf life, but yeah. I made my point. And uh, but the current resident has a, a changes the news cycle two or three times a day. Yeah, well, those are some common underlying threads that never change. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to write stuff about what's going on in the White House right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've written a bunch of stuff about that, but I don't. I don't just do protest songs. Uh, uh -huh. And I think I've discovered this as I first started. I mean, I only started writing eight or nine years ago. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I I played guitar uh, and I played covers when I was a teenager and when I lived in Europe in the '60s and I I played there uh, and I didn't covers play of, of what uh, Bob Dylan and Pete Seeger and Paul uh -huh. Mary the uh -huh. '60s stuff yeah, yeah. and uh, and then I didn't play for probably thirty or forty years and uh, wow not at all not at all yeah, didn't I own a guitar piano. I had no I didn't even own a guitar. Wow. I uh, I uh, I played piano all my life since I was a kid. I, I played uh -huh. sort of jazz piano really? uh, progressions, and and uh, but then I moved to Bend from Seattle uh, ten years ago, eleven years ago now, and uh, I met a bunch of songwriters there, and I started hanging around with them, and I realized, hey, this is kind of fun. I could do this, and um, I started writing the kind of songs that I write now, and. Um, yeah, so I, I, I like to call myself a submerging artist because I only started writing after I turned 60. <laughs> and that was 10 years ago. Did you ago. come here all the way from Bend? No, no. I oh. moved to Portland uh, a year oh, ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, nobody believes that I'd moved from Bend to Portland, but yes, I, I believe, did. I believe it. And I moved here because our daughter uh, lived in Portland until two months after we moved here, and then uh, she moved to the coast. Oh. So never, never follow your kids. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, 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 uh, Inside Edition sent me to Bend one time mm. to do a story on the, the pregnant man. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. What the heck was and that? And he was never there. Yeah. I could never find him. They just kept me there for days, and the, 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 and, and the expense account kept running up and yeah. higher and higher, and I'm going like, okay. Yeah, we, we had some quirky characters in Bend. Remember the guy who? floated up on his lawn chair no. with balloons and he went all the way to the Idaho border. And, uh, yeah. You mean in the air? Yeah, in the air. Yeah. Wow. He, he put, uh, uh, you know, helium loaded balloons and on his lawn chair. Yeah. And 
went up into the sky and the the winds carried him east and uh, he ended up somewhere in, in Idaho. I did another Ben story <laughs> that was uh, they sent me the, 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 some a um, a uh, a pony or a horse like um, fell in love with this teenage guy <laughs> and. And it was very strange, and they had me. They sent me down there to to find the the kid and, mm-hmm. and have him reenact it uh, with his father, which yeah. was very strange, yeah. very strange. I, I you know, but you know, if you've if you've given yourself to bullshit journalism and as as, as a way of supplementing your income, you just yeah. do what they That's they right. send you to do. Go where the news is. That's right. News the story. There wasn't any. That wasn't news. Okay, so. When you started writing and playing, I mean, it, it was this. This was a. This was obviously intentional. But yeah. did, did did you think it was going to grow? To, to, I had I had no idea. I mean, I I um, you know I retired. I did a bunch of startup companies in Seattle after I moved to Seattle, uh-huh. and I got off the, the startup treadmill and I moved to Bend to just do nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, and I got tired of doing nothing after a few months, and I ran yeah. into these bunch of songwriters who had a monthly meeting, and uh, uh, I just caught the bug. I really, I just caught the bug. I, I, I guess before that, I had been pretty prolific at writing letters to the editor. Uh-huh. And there's a there's a trick to writing a letter to the editor yeah. that, that gets published. Yeah. And I, I like to think of my songs as kind of a musical letter to the editor what's uh-huh. going on yeah. about this issue i write a song about it uh-huh. and i i think what i've discovered is that when you post that song as your commentary you get much more um interesting and thoughtful comments back from people uh-huh. even people who disagree with, uh, with what i'm saying in the song but like the song uh-huh. which is really the the goal the end, end game for me um and i i i think of uh especially topical songs as a a, a you know, a legitimate form of journalism. I mean, that's the way people sure. used to get their news in sure. days of old, right? Troubadours. There's troubadours and minstrels yeah. and bards and whatever mm-hmm. going around and singing the news to people who were largely illiterate. And there weren't newspapers. There weren't mm-hmm. even broadsheets. There were, you know, it was basically people sang the news. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Woody Guthrie actually had an idea that he he pursued for a while but never really uh, completed it. He was going to – he had the idea of a musical newspaper, songs about – yeah. What's going on, and in, in yeah. and make it a musical newspaper. I think mm-hmm. it's basically that's what I'm doing. Huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do find. I mean, I wrote a song uh, once, sort of a tongue-in-cheek, uh, about open carry gun rights activists mm-hmm. who were at that time kind of invading Starbucks in large groups of heavily armed people to just dare Starbucks to right. turn them out. Yeah. And Starbucks didn't. You know, they said if it's legal to carry in this state, you're welcome. Um, so I wrote a song about that. It was just kind of a funny, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, I got one comment back from somebody that said, I completely disagree with your point of view, but I really like the song. <laughs> and I thought that was a victory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 What was the first, do you, do you remember your, what your first couple of songs, what they were about? Yeah. The first one was during the run up to the, um, uh, the war in Iraq. Uh-huh. And, um, it was an angry, nasty, ad hominem attack on the people that made that decision. <laughs> and um, I, I, looking back on it, I would re, I would have done it completely differently. But I was just really ranting at that at that time about uh, the war in Iraq. And uh, I can't easy even to do. Yeah, I can't even remember the name of the song. It was uh, um, 
anyway, it was a, it was a nasty, uh-huh. nasty attack on the people who made that terrible decision to go into, into Iraq. So you didn't do any singing or anything else like that for this as long these decades and, and, and until you you did this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the kind of songs I write, uh, I write don't require a good voice <laughs> because I have this kind of I like people. I like the joke that I make Tom Waits sound like Luciano Pavarotti. Um, and uh, it's sort of a growly protest song is kind of the thing that uh, yeah. that I do. Uh, my voice has changed a lot over the 10 years since I've been writing. I've gone through some, some sort of interesting healthcare challenges that have wrecked my voice. But uh, wow. yeah, um, but I'm still here and I'm still writing and wow. I'm still ranting. Um, uh, how, how do you so when people come to see you mm-hmm. do they know what to expect yeah, uh, I mean are you, I think or, so. are you still I mean, are you Bend, still surprising people yeah I mean in Bend I sort of got a reputation as yeah. a protest songwriter yeah. after 10 years and so people would expect me to have something to say about a topic that, that was in the news and I usually didn't uh, disappoint I'd usually have something uh, in a form of a satirical or a funny comical song or a hard-knitting song. I wrote a song about uh, uh, people sitting in air-conditioned um, vans in outside Reno, Nevada and bombing the hell out of people in Yemen on with drones uh-huh. that they're piloting and shooting uh-huh. uh, missiles from. And, I mean, it's just an absurd uh, uh, form of warfare that uh, shouldn't be, be allowed. Right. Uh, so I wrote an angry rant about that, and I played it a couple of times, and people would come up to me and say, you know, you better be careful about where you sing that song because you know there could be some people that just think uh, you're going over the top and maybe I am but I feel pretty strongly about that so I wrote a song about it uh, and uh, and I've done we did a show in in uh, 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 in Oklahoma City in Tulsa actually Tulsa wow. the most conservative city in America so called yeah uh, it happens to be where the Woody Guthrie Museum is located. That's ironic. So isn't that an irony? And yeah. uh, uh, and soon the Bob Dylan archives are going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, too. Huh. Uh, who'd have thunk that? Uh, anyway, I, I did a show there and uh, an art of the protest song show with three other performers. Uh, and uh, let me let me just explain what that is. Uh, the art of the protest song is an idea I hatched about five years ago uh, to focus on topical songs as a as a specialized and unique uh, genre of, of music. And um, uh, each of the shows is three or four performers, mm-hmm. uh, me as the MC, and, you know, I fly in, I'm the MC, and the organizer, I select the, the local artists. I select one local artist who has, has a, his or her own following and mm-hmm. can book a venue and do some promotion and find the nonprofit as a beneficiary of the show. And and uh, it's set up as an edutainment event, I call it, where uh, the each of the performers uh, it, uh, does one or two classic protest songs from the civil rights movement or the, the anti-war movement or something, uh, going back as far as they can mm-hmm. in history to find a song that they could uh, they could perform. And then uh, they add to that their own original compositions on what's going on in the news today. So it's a, it, it's a historical view of protest songs and their role in certain social and political movements and then uh, original contemporary stuff. Uh, and it's, it's gotten rave reviews. We've done 25, 24, I guess, 25 shows around the country now in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them generates another show because somebody in the audience comes up and says, I want to, I want you to do this show in my town. So yeah. we did a show in Austin, Texas last November. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple came up to me and said, we'd love you to do this show in Lincoln, Nebraska. Wow. And I thought, well, 
okay, that's a red state, but Lincoln, I think, is a college town. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I haven't organized that yet, but I've got an invitation to do an Art of the Protest Song show in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did one in Eugene a few weeks ago. Uh, we're working on one. Uh, actually, we have an invitation to do a show at the Grammy Museum in, in uh, Los Angeles. Right. So it's getting a little bit of attention. Yeah. <clears throat> so how, how far do they go back? Um, well, I like to joke that <clears throat> um, somewhere deep in the bowels of the I think I wrote this to you the yeah. other day in, a, uh, in, in the pyramids. There's hieroglyphics. It's a protest song from one of the laborers. It's, you know, kvetching about the work conditions and the lousy pay. <clears throat> I'm sure you can. I mean, uh, the, the oldest one that I've seen some, anybody perform is from the 17th century English Civil War. And it's called the Digger Song. Uh, and I think I think it's one of those songs that nobody really knows the, the, the original melody. But that doesn't matter because yeah. you just make up your own melody. And the lyrics uh, are all about peasant land rights, peasant uh, uh, uprising. So it's a really good protest song, and it's been around a long time. And um, so I I like to encourage the people who participate in the Art of the Protest Song shows to go back to pre-Civil War, find something. Mm -hmm. Stephen Foster had a lot of protest songs uh, written before the Civil War. And, uh, you know, uh, Hard Times, that's a protest song. Uh Uh, So several people have done that in the the shows. Um, I'd love to have somebody... Uh, in fact, I'm doing a little digging myself to see if I can find something uh, from, say, the French Revolution uh, or, you know, the Spanish-American War or something yeah. like that, just yeah. to yeah. give a little historical flavor to the shows. What about songs from this country? Songs? Protest songs from... from uh, well, how, how, I mean, far, how far does that go back? Oh, I'm sure you can find protest songs, be, you know, pre-revolutionary protest yeah. songs. Yeah. Uh, cause after all that's the revolution was right. all about protests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, um, so yeah, there's some digging to be done there. And, yeah. uh, and I'm, uh, I've got a couple of friends who are go, working on it. Go throw your tea in the Harbor, Georgie, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have, uh, there was a guy that I got to know in Bend who was a quite conservative right wing, uh, guy outspoken. Uh, and he was a pretty good songwriter. Uh, <laughs> and he used to rib me all the time about my, you know, bleeding heart liberal protest songs. And, uh, you know, I, I said to him at, at, at one point, well, why don't you give me the list of the top 10 conservative protest songs? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he couldn't. Yeah, I mean, he well, said, there is no such that's thing. Like, that's like, that's like you know, give me a list of the top 10 conservative comedians. Uh, Same thing. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. I don't know. Oh, but, I mean, no, you know, some people would say Merle Haggard's uh, Okie from Muskogee mm-hmm. is a protest song. From, with a conservative point of view, and I guess you could say that. But it, I've re- I've read that he himself sort of uh, uh, belittled that idea. He said it was just a just a funny song. I didn't really mean it. Right. And, <clears throat> and Merle Haggard. I don't know if you know this, but Merle Haggard um, had had uh, Renato Caranto in his band, the great uh, soul and jazz saxophone player from Portland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was a member of, of Merle's last band. Yeah. You know. So I mean, uh, yeah. I've yeah. heard all kinds of actually good things about Merle Haggard. Yeah. Yeah, weird. And, and there's things like uh, I can't remember. The, I, I should, should know that uh, Lee Greenwood, right? Who, who did the song oh, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. the USA or something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not a protest song. That's a patriotic song. And that's different. It's uh, and, I, and I'm quite sure it's a pandering song. Well, I don't know. And Toby Keith. I mean, he writes yes. a lot of songs that are right. uh, uh, red, white, and blue, and they're good patriotic songs. But uh, but I would like actually, I might try my hand at writing a song from a conservative point of view about something <laughs> like gun rights or abortion or, you know, something that's uh, a wedge issue in American society. And uh, uh, but it wouldn't be sincere, you know, coming from me. Right. 
Right. Yeah. I, I think it's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it is kind of a nice intellectual challenge to think about uh, why aren't there a long list? Why isn't there a long list of conservative protest songs? Uh, because protest is by nature a progressive sentiment. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, have you always been? Have you always had those those beliefs? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I grew up. I, you know, I, I I went all the way through high school as a through Catholic schools. Uh-huh. I was an altar boy. I did Latin mass. You know, I was like from conservative Philadelphia. Yeah. But uh, I moved to Europe in the '60s, and I discovered uh, a completely different. Yeah. viewpoint on the world yeah. and I spent two years in Europe and then I spent 20 years in Asia uh, and I uh, came back to the US in 1992 and I just sort of have a, a pretty expansive worldview of things uh, that are going on and uh, I don't get so rattled by the left-right divide in America uh, because I've seen it in spades in a lot of places where I lived I, I lived in Paris when there was an absolute revolution in 1968. Right. Uh, I lived in uh, Korea when uh, Park Chung-hee, the longtime dictator, was assassinated in the military coup, and there were tanks in the streets and riots in the streets right out in front of my, my uh, office building. Uh-huh. Um, and now look at Hong Kong. I lived in Hong Kong uh-huh. uh, for five years, and look what's happening there. Um, uh, last weekend, 1.7 million people on the streets protesting. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's the kind of thing that sort of inevitably has to happen here is people got to get out on the streets again like they did in the 1960s. Yeah. yeah. You were in, in the banking industry, right? I was a bankster, as I call it. <laughs> in Asia. <laughs> I like to say I used to be a banker, but then I became an honest businessman. <laughs> well, apologies to my banking friends, but uh, now I spent 20 years in Asia working yeah. for a Wall Street bank. Yeah. Wow. How do you... How do you um, reconcile those two the two worlds. That's, you know, I, I worked for a Wall Street bank before they became gambling casinos. Uh-huh. And I was in Korea in the mid-70s for seven years when Samsung was kind of a startup company. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like venture capital to finance uh-huh. Samsung Electronics and uh-huh. Hyundai shipbuilding and the cars yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was the heyday of international commercial and investment banking. Uh-huh. Uh, and Asia was where most of these countries were growing at five, six, seven, ten percent yeah. uh, real economic growth yeah. every year. It yeah. was really, really exciting. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, I was I happened to be there uh, during the middle of some of the most uh, important uh, uh, civil uprisings uh, yeah. in the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the last 35, 40 years. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was exciting and informative and educational. So I, th- I just, um, I mean, I don't think you have, to, you have to be a conservative to be a banker. Uh, uh-huh. And, um, or you don't have to be a, yeah, I don't think you have to be a conservative to be a banker. Oh, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I understand exactly yeah. what you're saying because yeah. I'm a serious journalist, and I and, and occasionally I work for Inside Edition. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I used to write for one of the supermarket tabloids. Right <laughs> back then, you know, I mean, I was uh, I, I was. Uh, Did you I, have pieces on aliens and that kind of stuff? Oh God, yeah. yeah I wrote a book about it. Uh, uh, um, Rabid nun infects entire conduct and other sensational <laughs> stories from a, a tabloid writer. But you know, I mean, I was writing comedy, except right. that people believed it. So, yeah. And so I have, I have, I have as much as I can, of course, to be against the current regime. I actually had a hand in in feeding the, the you know the fake news back yeah. then. Right. I mean, it was in the eighties, but yeah. still, yeah. you know, I mean, I wrote stuff that. 
you shouldn't people shouldn't believe, but did. Yeah, you know. Yeah. All right. It's like Mad Magazine. It was you know it was good. No, it was worse because yeah. people, people nobody believed anything in Mad Magazine. <laughs> people believe this like like yeah. they believe wrestling. Yeah. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, um, what you do when you when you got back to the United States? I I uh, threw away all my pinstripe banking suits. Did you? And I got involved with a. But they look so good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, in Seattle, uh, I moved from Hong Kong to Seattle in 1992, uh-huh. and I started my own little business. Uh, initially, started a, a company doing uh, helping American companies find partners in Asia to do business with and set up joint ventures. And yeah. I called it New Pacific Partners. It was sort of the beginning of this notion of the Pacific Century, and so there was yeah. a lot of attention there. Yeah. And uh, that kind of segued, uh, we wound that down after a while. It did reasonably well, but we wound it down, and I met a uh, uh, an inventor, a software developer, a brilliant scientist, uh-huh. uh, who had an idea for doing text messaging on mobile phones. <laughs> And he, he, he didn't have any experience running a company, and I had run companies. And uh, so we got together, and we started a little company called TJ Communications that ended up pretty much revolutionizing how you do text messaging on mobile phones. So you're to blame. I'm to blame for that, yeah. <laughs> Parents and <laughs> kids are addicted to text messaging. For the death of, of telephone conversations. That's right. Well, there's a thing called T9, which uh, became quite famous around the world uh, in the 1980s. And, uh-huh. uh and is probably by now licensed on 15 billion phones in the wow. world. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I did a, so after that, I did another startup company um, uh, that was actually the first, uh, the first company to do iTunes on mobile phones. It was basically uh-huh. downloading full tracks of music wow. to your mobile phone. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, we also developed the ability to share that music from one phone to another in a licensed, uh, monetized way. Um, that company called Melodio, and that company was acquired. When did you cross the line between your businesses and music? Well, Melodio was a good example. Melodio is all about music, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, but startup companies, anybody who's done a tech startup company would know that it's it's like eighty and a hundred hour weeks. It's endless travel. It's yeah. terror and fear of running out of money every day. Uh, and I did five of those in a row, and wow. <laughs> that's extremely wearing. Uh, I I once looked at my passports and uh, realized that in a two year period, this was at TGIC. In a two-year period between uh, – well, two years before we were acquired by AOL, I did 30 trips to Europe and Asia wow. plus domestic stuff. Wow. And, you know, that's a lot of travel to Europe and Asia. Yeah. 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 So um, – And you were not writing you were I not wasn't writing, writing songs then. No, I wasn't writing songs at all. Wow. I mean, I had no time to do anything but just yeah, travel yeah. and work. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when I finally stepped out of the startup company uh, scene – um, in uh, well, eleven years ago, I uh, I moved to to Bend, get just get the hell out of Seattle, move to Bend, uh, and uh, you went from IPOs to IPAs. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <clears throat> and uh, as as I mentioned, I met these uh, songwriters, the Central Oregon Songwriters Association. I yeah. had a meeting once a month, and I uh, I just got hooked on the idea, and I started writing and. I, I guess by now I've probably written a couple hundred songs. Wow. And I don't have a CD. I hate recording CDs. Uh, I, I'm just terrible in the uh, in a studio. I've, I've recorded a lot of songs, just one-offs. 
but I've tried and failed several times to have the discipline to do a, you know, a nicely mixed uh, mastered CD. It's just not my shtick. And uh, I think the only way I'm ever going to do a CD is a live performance recording, uh, which I, I think is the most real way to do a CD anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, there's there's one example. Um, there's a CD I, I often uh, refer to other songwriters, budding songwriters, and it's Guy Clark, Towns Van Zandt, and mm-hmm. Steve Earle live at the uh, Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And they're screwing up royal. Yeah. You know, they're missing chords. They forget their lyrics. They're right. out of tune. Uh, the, you know, their voices are not auto-tuned. Mm-hmm. And I just love it because these are great songwriters yeah. Yeah. and great performers, but right. they're screwing up. Yeah. And so I feel pretty good about that. So I, <laughs> when I do a live CD recording, it'll be full of screw-ups. <laughs> and when you screw up on the stage, you look, you look in the audience and you say, sorry about that. Let's, let's, let's try that over. And that's okay, but you yeah. can't do that in a recording studio. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, people the people expect perfection out of a studio recording and I, yeah. I just can't get there. What about videos? Uh well I have a bunch of videos up on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. And but not not they're not there's only a few of them are videos of me performing. They're basically the slideshows really, not yeah. video of yeah. the songs that I write. Uh-huh. And I I uh, you know create these little slideshows that uh-huh. correspond to the lyrics of the song and post them on YouTube. Um but uh I did get a couple of nice video recordings of several Art of the Protest song shows, the one in Austin, Texas. Oh, that's good. Yeah, really, really nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Done by a professional videographer. And nice. it really gives a – it's a nice – I mean, it's a nice uh, marketing piece for the Art of the Protest song because uh-huh. we're trying to do 100 of those shows wow. over the next 12 months or 15 months to the election. Wow. You got them locked in? Uh, shows? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we're doing um, – a big event in Mesa, Arizona in November uh-huh. at a big folk festival there. And um, we have a show coming up in uh, February at the Grammy Museum in oh, yeah. uh, New York, that. or Newark, rather. Uh, and then we, we haven't fixed a date yet for the sort of the main Grammy Museum yeah. in Los Angeles, but that's also coming up on our radar scope. And I think there'll be um, one thing I, I, uh, I, I have wanted to achieve with the Art of the Protest song is We've done 25 shows to date. I've been involved in every single one of them as the MC. Uh-huh. But if we want to do 100 of them, I can't be involved in all of them. So right. I'm trying to farm it out yeah, yeah. to people who can take full responsibility for yeah. organizing it, recruiting the other songwriters, uh-huh. uh, you know, finding the venue and doing the whole shtick. Why, it sounds like a franchise. Yeah, it's kind of a franchise. Yeah. yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, I really would like to see 100 of these done between now and the election. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the best thing is... Getting some words out. It is, yeah. I, you know, I just think that, um, you know, you think of the civil rights movement. Um, you know, the, except for Martin Luther King's famous speeches, mm-hmm. you know, all the editorials and the books and whatever that came out of that period of American history are kind of faded into history. But the songs, right, still there. Everybody still remembers those songs. Yeah. So I think it's the most powerful form of art. There's a um, there's a, uh, a a great quote that I came across when I was doing some research for the Art of the Protest song uh, from Don McLean. And he said, mm-hmm. the most dangerous form of art is a protest song because you can't kill the song. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that's exactly yeah. uh, what drives me is uh, to come up with a good song that expresses some mm-hmm. opinion on a, on a thing in the news or a social movement, et cetera. And you have chosen a song for us to go out on. 
yeah, I think this is a <clears throat> this is a song that actually uh, gets a lot of radio play in mm-hmm. a band, uh, and um, I played it the first time I played it. I tried it out in a song circle in Kerrville, Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, wow. in the song circle was an Israeli songwriter who came up to me afterwards and she said, well, yeah, I guess you have to hear the song first to understand what this means. But she said, I thought this was going to be one of those bleeding heart liberal songs about the Palestinian, yeah. the plight of the Palestinian people. But then I see you were being even handed about, yeah. about the bad guys on both sides. Uh-huh. And uh, she was really interested in that. In fact, uh, our correspondence on uh, uh, Facebook afterwards, she, uh, she said, why don't you come and do an article protest song show in Israel? Wow. Yeah. So I'm waiting for her to send a first class round trip ticket. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> and the name of the tune is? Uh, One Man's East. Okay. One Man's East is Another Man's West. Basically, I look from this perspective, you look from your perspective, and we, we're seeing right past each other. Well, you know, there are second acts, aren't there? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm, I'm uh, well, this is kind of my third act. I mean, a banker for yeah. all those years right. in Asia, right. and then yeah. tech startup right. guy, and then yeah. uh, songwriter. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what's next. But who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> hey, thanks for coming in. Really well, appreciate it. It was nice to meet you. Right, I appreciate thanks. the okay. chance to talk about what I do. Here we go. back alley on the Gaza Strip stands an angry young Muslim man He's dead certain all his troubles from the West He's a victim of an evil plan He got a rock in his hand Got a hate in his heart For an enemy he doesn't know He's trapped in his culture and there's no way out Nobody dares to tell him so Yeah, he's a blind man And a deaf man too Can't see the world from another man's view Can't hear the wailing of a world in distress Because one man's east Is another man's west Yeah, one man's east Is another man's west Certain that their way is the best 
and how many wars mold that righteousness? Blind certainty is deadly in the hands of fools, and no man's God owns the golden rule. Yeah, no man's God owns the golden rule. To sure find some reason in the other man's view, might find a way to end the war and distress if we could see from the east and you could see from the west. If I could see from the east and you could see from the west, if we could see from the east and you could see from the west. <laughs> 